Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to go back into the world of philosophy, and we're going to be covering Martin Heidegger today. Now, we're going to cover very briefly uh, Heidegger in comparison to what's there, um, but I do want to give you enough of him so that you can get a sense of how he ties into the people who come after him. Heidegger is someone you can really spend an entire career studying. Uh, his his book, Being in uh, Time, is massive. Uh, I had a course in college on, it was supposed to be on Heidegger and Nietzsche, and we talked about Heidegger so much the entire semester, we never even got to talking about Frederick Nietzsche. So he's a very complex and very important philosopher as far as the 20th century and the existentialists. Um, but I don't want to just completely gloss over his past and not address that, because if anybody does a search on Martin Heidegger, you will also find out that uh, for a while he was part of Hitler's Nazi party. Um, he officially joined the Nazi party in 1933. Uh, now, by 1934, he was no longer really an active member of the party. Um, but even, you know, towards the end of his life on his deathbed, he never actually recanted or, you know, apologized for being a Nazi. And I think a lot of this has to do with ego. Um, Martin Heidegger is an extremely bright person, but... Being extremely bright doesn't mean you can't also be sucked into bad ideas and, and kind of being sucked along with the time, uh, which he definitely was, because he was in Germany during uh, during the rise of Hitler during World War II. Um, so he very much was in the center of that. And I think a lot of his refusal to recant had to do with the fact that he didn't want to admit that he was wrong. Um, like most people, the hardest thing to do is to admit you're wrong, especially in front of the entire world. There's also, I think, a little bit of a of an attack on his ego because he felt that if he admitted being wrong on that, that people would then dismiss all of his philosophy and say, well, if you were wrong on that, you're wrong on all of this too. Uh, and this really does have... Uh, a basis in what happens because people do tend to dismiss someone's all of someone's ideas because of who they associate with or an, a single idea that they have that it kind of casts a shadow over everything else they've done this guilt by association and one of the things i've covered in you know previous podcasts is the fact that you know bad people have good ideas good people have bad ideas and very few people fall under the category of being all good or all bad. You're, you're going to find that people are always a mixture of both. And you're going to find that when it comes to thinkers, their ideas are also a mixture of both. Um, none of Heidegger's philosophy is pro-Nazi. He doesn't write philosophies about the master race. He doesn't write you know, pro-fascism uh, philosophies. Um, so it's really hard to get a handle on that part. Um, it's, it's definitely something that, um, it will, uh, cloud the way people see him. Um, and that's why I didn't want to just skip over it and not mention it because if I talk about him and then, you know, people 
hopefully as, as you know as I talk about these people you do a little bit of research and a little bit of digging on there you come up with that you would actually start to question my um, honesty about the topic saying well you know you hid this from us what else do you hide and I don't believe you should be hiding these things um, <clears throat> when things like this exist you need to directly talk about them um, but now that I've kind of brought that out and talked about it a little bit, I do want to move away from that because, as I said, his philosophy wasn't Nazi philosophy. It wasn't pro-Nazi philosophy. It was very much a philosophy that uh, influences the later existentialists. Even though the roots of existentialism trace back before Heidegger, uh, to the century before Heidegger, um, the he really is in many ways considered sort of the first person who solidifies it, who who founds it. And one of the things that makes him an existentialist is the is the you know the base that he starts from where um, being precedes essence. Um, this goes contrary to what you know a lot of philosophers have put out. And with his uh, existence preceding essence, uh, what this means is we don't have some ideal or idea and then we are a reflection of that idea and this is what you see from you know philosophers like plato who believe that the ideal you know the the perfect world for plato the real world is the world of forms and what we live in is just a cheap imitation of that the existentialists kind of turn that around and say no there is no idea that we spring from uh, first we exist and then with the, from existing then we start to determine and, you know, fill out our essence. We fill out what we become. Um, and Heidegger spends a lot of time talking about how this question of being, you know, this is the central question for Heidegger, especially in being in time, is something that everyone kind of knows what it means, but not really. So he calls it the most uh, universal and emptiest of concepts. You know, everyone kind of knows what being is, but no one can actually put their hand on what it is. And he goes into a, quite a bit of a discussion about, you know, the different types of being. Um, you know, there's being that is just unaware, and that's what all things are. They're unaware beings. A table is not aware that it's a table. It's, it's, it simply is what it is. Um, and then there's the being that is aware that is aware of its existence. And he does focus on this type of being um, and on the being of human beings. And his central focus is what he calls Dasein. Now, Dasein is a, is a German word that roughly translates being there. And what this means by this being there is he doesn't think where this, you know, we don't come into the world and then create the universe around us. We're thrown into a universe, into a world that already exists and already, um, you know, has things going on. So this is not a, a philosophy where, you know, nothing existed before I did. And when I existed, then the whole universe springs into being because he kind of sees how problematic this is, you know, even from a logical standpoint, if nothing existed before me, then where did all this history come from? Where did the people come from that, you know, gave, gave birth to me, that made me? 
so he doesn't believe that, you know, he, this isn't some crazy stance that we uh, originate the universe with our being. But he does believe that we are kind of thrown into a universe that is already there. And since we're thrown into a universe that's already there, our being does define us. But we have to find what our, what our being means. So his, his real search is what is the meaning of being? What is the meaning of our being? Of a being that is aware of questions like, what does it mean to be? So as we are looking for these, um, and we're thrown into a world that already exists, we're thrown into a society, a country, a, a planet, you know, a religious system, uh, most of what we come to define ourselves as, most of what we start to think of as our essence, are the things that we're handed. You know, when you're raised in a particular culture, you pretty much are raised to believe the things that they teach you in that culture are correct. And most people simply internalize this stuff. And they start to just live as if, well, yeah, this is, this is just reality. This is just the way it is. And this is where Heidegger gets into talking about authentic being and inauthentic being. Inauthentic being is a being... Here I go talking like Heidegger. You can't read Heidegger and discuss him without starting to talk like he does. Um, but inauthentic being is basically when a person simply acts the way they're programmed to act. They do just what's expected of them. They never question whether the things that are expected of them are right or wrong. You know, here's your role, here's your duties, you do them. And he believes that most people live inauthentically. They live this way. Um, I always like to think of it like uh, most people are carrying someone else's, someone else's baggage. You know, when you're born and you're raised and you're growing up and you're making your way in the world, everybody's handing you their baggage. They're handing you their ideas. They're handing you your, their beliefs. They're handing you the way you should be thinking about yourself. And most people uncritically just pick up this baggage that they're handed and walk with it. And, and this becomes who they are. But Heidegger sees this as being very inauthentic because you never did look at that baggage. You never did analyze that and say, is this true? Is this right? Is this right for me? Is this who I should be? So when he t starts talking about authentic, this is someone who... Um, and of looks at where they are in the world, and you have to always take, you know, you're, you're a being that is thrown into the world, so you're always going to be shaped by that world somewhat, but you have to become aware of how you're shaped. You have to become aware of how much of this is someone else's baggage that you're carrying, and when you realize how much of it and which parts are someone else's baggage that you're carrying, then you can actually make the decision should I be carrying this? Do I want to be carrying this? And once you make that decision of should I be carrying this? Do I want to be carrying this? You make a decision yes or no. And, and from that point, if you decide yes, this is my baggage too, I like it, you're living a more authentic life because you've picked it for yourself. Um, if you say no and you move on to different ideas and different ways of thinking, that too is authentic because you've chosen for yourself. Um, this is 
similar to a discussion I have in some of my classes about what happens with uh, people growing up. <clears throat> when you're a child, everything you're told everything is right and wrong from your parents. And then you hit a certain age where you start to question that, where you rebel. It's teenage rebellion, where you reject the values of your parents. And if you're thoughtful and if you think about this rebellion, uh, as you get older, one of two things usually happens. You will either decide, okay, the stuff mom and dad and everybody taught me was true, so I'm going to go ahead and go that route and live that way. Or you're going to decide, no, the stuff they taught me was full of it. I'm, I'm going to find a different way of being. You know, this is, this is how people who sometimes come from very uh, bad homes where they're abused and neglected, but somehow grow up to be very, you know, very much the opposite of that. They come, they grow up to be someone who's against abusing others, who doesn't neglect others, mainly because they've, they've reached that point of authenticity. They've said, the way I was raised is not right. The values I was handed are not the values I'm going to carry. These are not going to be my bags. And so this would be an example of living an authentic life. And like I said, it can be authentic whether you decide, yes, this baggage does fit me and I'm going to carry on the way I was raised, or you decide, no, this stuff is all wrong and I'm going to seek a different path. And, you know, in existentialism, this opens the door for lots uh, of ideas about what freedom is. Does freedom exist? You know, this is a, a debate that's gone on in philosophy for a long time. Do we have free will? Um, there are philosophers that come down on the side that, um, you know, we don't have free will. Life is complicated. Everything that shapes us, uh, shapes us in so many ways that we're not aware of it all. And so in the end, while it appears we have free will, we're actually just running the program that we've been programmed to run. And then there are other philosophers who say, no, you, this isn't true. We do have the ability to uh, change direction. And then there are some that believe some people have free will and some don't. It depends on how uh, much you actually engage and think about your life. And Heidegger, I think, would fall into this middle category and with his you know, ideas of inauthentic and authentic life. Uh, someone who doesn't question, doesn't uh, challenge, doesn't see if the values fit and then accept them or see if the values don't fit and reject them, that person just falls into being inauthentic and really doesn't have any freedom. <clears throat> Whereas the person who, um, you know, challenges the values, decides whether they're for them or not, creates new values if they're not, that person is more, the authentic person is more of someone who is free. Uh, one of the things that as you get into philosophy more and more, and you'll see more and more, is that none of these issues are as easy as they seem. Um, and there's, if these, these issues were easy, there would have been two or three philosophers, and then we would have all said, yep, they got it all together, and we would have lived like that happily ever after. Uh, the truth of philosophy is it's constantly a back and forth. It's constantly being challenged, taken in new directions. And, you know, for someone who enjoys engaging in ideas, this is a wonderful thing. For someone who just wants the sort of to, to, 
to, you know, quote uh, Heidegger, I guess, wants to live inauthentically and uh, just wants to, you know, wants a package handed to them that they can just swallow whole, uh, then philosophy might be a difficult subject. Okay, I don't want to go too much into more into Heidegger, um, but I did want to sort of bring up that beginnings because he does have a lot of influence on later existentialists. And we are going to, in the future, do, you know, in future seasons, we are going to spend a lot of time on Heidegger. He's one of the ones we will do, uh, you know, probably most of a season on. Um, there's going to be a lot of seasons to this show by the time it's done. So I hope all of you are doing well, and I hope all of you are staying safe. Uh, and I will talk to you again soon. Have a good night.